If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. What's up? What's up, beautiful people? Listen, it is Wednesday. That's right. It is Wednesday. You're listening to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast. If you're listening right now, that means you made it through halfway through the week. And I am so proud of you for that. Seriously. It doesn't, it's not easy to get through these weeks, especially uh, as the days get shorter, it's getting dark earlier. Like a lot of people, for a lot of people, that seasonal uh, affective depression is starting to to set in. And I know that that makes the work days a lot more difficult, but you're doing it. Like you did it. If nobody else told you this week that you're doing it, let me be the first one to say, girl, guy, you are doing it or however you identify, you are doing it right now. Um, so I'm your host, Dr. Shonda. You're listening to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, where we talk about all things related to faith, culture, and black mental health. I am your host, Dr. Shonda, y'all, and I'm so excited to be here with you yet another day. Listen, if you guys have not done so already, I need you to go into the app. I need you to scroll down. Uh, to either pod, uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify and go ahead and give your girl a five out of five star rating. When you do that, it does help with our visibility. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast as well. Many of you guys have been listening on other avenues. So I know a lot of y'all like found me on TikTok and stuff, which is amazing. And I appreciate that. But I'm realizing that when you listen on TikTok, it doesn't give you the option to be able to follow the podcast. So what you'll have to do is you'll have to find me on like a platform like a uh, Apple or a Spotify or what have you, make sure that you're following so you can stay up to date with everything that I'm doing and every episode that tends to launch. Last week was a little interesting. So I ended up doing a live conversation. Uh, I did a hot off the press segment, but I did it as a, um, a live conversation via TikTok and I posted it on Instagram and you guys are still commenting on it today. So if you haven't listened to it yet, make sure that you listen to Erica Mena apologizes and says that she wasn't being racist. Dr. Shonda explains why this was racism. And it really is baffling me how people, uh, black people and people of color are literally trying to argue me down saying that it's not racist to call somebody a monkey, a black person, a monkey. I honestly don't know what America y'all live in, but, uh, the America that I live in, it literally, uh, <laughs> It literally is racist when you call a black person a monkey for various reasons. In that episode, we break it down due to uh, things like featureism, colorism, racism, uh, dating back to the transatlantic slave trade when we were seen as animals and having animalistic traits. We were seen even in um, the scientific world. We broke down how like in, in science uh, or pseudoscience, if you will. Black people were seen as animals, especially monkeys. So, you know, nobody's going to convince me that it's not. But I want to hear y'all's thoughts. So if you can go ahead and give me a five out of five star rating and comment on the podcast um, at the bottom of it, what your thoughts are. Is it racist? Is it not racist? I really feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like you you got to be living under a rock of some sort to feel like that's not a racist statement to say to a black person. But anyway... Child, ugh, this week we are going into a deep conversation. And when I tell you it was deep, like it got deep. Before we hop into the segment, though, I do want to provide a trigger warning. So we are, again, talking about some heavy stuff. It is September, which means it is Suicide Prevention Month. 
we're going to be digging into the story of two young ladies who founded an organization called Black People Die by Suicide 2. We'll be look, listening to their personal stories, how they met in a hospital based on their lived experience with suicide and what they're doing for the community today. So if you've ever experienced suicidal ideation, if you had loved ones who's experienced suicidal thoughts, uh, make sure that you listen to it, share it with people. But again, I do want to provide that trigger warning. If this, if you've had a loved one who passed from suicidal ideation and you're just not ready to listen to it yet, that's okay. You don't have to. You can skip and listen to another episode. We'll also be talking about sexual assault. So again, a trigger warning for sexual assault. So if you um, have experienced sexual assault and you are triggered by hearing other people's story or, um, you know, if, if it's something that you feel like you can't handle, that again, that is totally okay. You have permission to check in with yourself. And if you feel like you're not at a place where you can listen to this episode, I'm not going to fall out with you, beloved. Uh, I have more than enough episodes for you guys to listen to. So uh, again, we'll be talking about suicide. We'll also be talking about sexual assault. We laughed a lot in this episode. Um, there were a few tears that were shed in this episode, and I really think that speaks to their vulnerability and their willingness to be open and to share a lot with you guys. Um, the conversation I had with them was very in-depth, so I decided to make it a two-parter. So this week, we'll be releasing half the episode, and the following week, we'll be releasing the other half. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And so, yeah, continue to listen after this brief break. Have y'all checked out my Amazon storefront yet? Listen, whether you're searching for last minute date night outfits, perfecting your 4C curls, or delving into mental health books or enhancing your nail game, I've got you covered. Y'all know here at the Dr. Shonda podcast, we like to serve looks and books. So make sure that you guys click on my affiliate link for a hassle-free shopping experience that supports my creation efforts. Elevate your lifestyle and your mental health today. Awesome. Hey, ladies. Thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm super excited. I am too. I know uh, this is definitely something that we've been planning to do. So I'm very excited for Takia and Jordan to be joining me today. So ladies, if you can give us a brief introduction as to who you are, just so the listeners can know um, what you guys do and who you are. Jordan, you go ahead. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Scott. I am the co-founder and associate director of Black People Die by Suicide 2. Um, I'm a person with lived experience with a mental health disorder. Um, I'm living with depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And I have to say, I'm managing pretty well. Um, so I'm excited to tell you guys about our organization and also, you know, get into our backstory and why we decided to start it. Yes. So I'm, (laughs) I'm the other half to black people (laughs) die by the better half. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Takiya Blackman, co-founder and executive director of our new organization. I always say it's our baby. It's an infant. We just launched June 6th. Um, And the organization initially started as a podcast like a month before. And everyone kept saying like your organization, because we were doing like a marketing uh, tour so we could get the word out about the podcast. And everyone kept saying like your organization. And I was like, y'all, we are just a podcast. We are not an organization. (laughs) But because of like the DMs and the emails that we've been getting, it showed us that 
black people are ready to talk about suicide and also that there were so many people who was like oh my gosh i don't know how i stumbled upon this um instagram page or i don't know how i found y'all but i'm so glad i did my uncle passed away from this or this person was connected and that I was like, I think it's it's more than a podcast. I feel like it's actually a movement, and it's time for us to actually talk about suicide prevention. Did we lose Takia? Is she? Did you lose me? Lose me? You can't hear me. We lost you for just a little bit. Yeah. Maybe oh, like the last ten seconds. You're good. Oh, the last. Oh, I don't even remember what where I ended. But um, <laughs> we were just. I was saying that um, I started realizing that um, it was more than just a podcast. I felt like it's a movement. Black people are ready to talk about this conversation. I'm a person with lived experience. I'm a suicide attempt survivor, and I lost my 13 year old cousin to suicide. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of why I'm so passionate about suicide prevention and just wanting to make sure that. Suicide is a part of the mental health conversation. Yeah. We cannot omit that. And I feel like that's what is often done because suicide is a hard topic to discuss. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a part of mental health. And I do think uh, for years, just as much like mental health overall in the black community has been stigmatized, uh, suicide and death by suicide has been strongly stigmatized mm-hmm. in the black community. So I love, love, love the work that you ladies are doing. Um, y'all remember how we met? that's a story (laughs) oh my goodness oh my goodness stranded at a bwi yeah that is that where i was bwi okay because i I think i was originally supposed to fly out of dca we were on the way to essence fest um my flight got moved or, or canceled or what have you so i booked it at bwi and then that flight almost got canceled. So we right. in the line <laughs> trying to figure out, okay, what's going on with our flights or whatever. And yeah, it was connection from then. <laughs> and it's funny because I was like, Jordan, Jordan, that's Dr. Shonda Jordan's life. Because Jordan don't really be on social media. She's like, I don't know. I'm like, I was like her podcast. I was like, she it's just got on revolt. Like I'm literally all of this stuff. Like her content, her content is about this and isn't Jordan's life. <laughs> Jordan is like me when it comes to TikTok because I don't be in the TikTok streets like that. <laughs> I'm here for it. And I'm very grateful for the connection that we made. It was super random. Um, but I'm a firm believer in divine connection because, uh, I, again, I love the work that you ladies are doing and I don't believe in coincidences. So I, I'm, again, grateful uh, for the connection that we made. Uh, if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you guys met. How was this uh, match made in heaven? Like, where where's the story start? <laughs> Jordan, I'm telling it. Or are you telling it? <laughs> you know what? I'll tell it. Funny enough, um, as Takia <laughs> mentioned, that she's had her own experience with um, a suicide attempt. I'm someone who's been hospitalized multiple times for suicidal ideation. And we actually met in the hospital. <laughs> we were at a partial wow. hospitalization program together. Um, only a brief while. I think that might have been my last day or my next to the last day. I was getting ready to discharge and she was actually coming on. And she asked me for my phone number before I had left. And we've been friends ever since. That was, what, five years ago? Um, mm-hmm. So both, you know, the experience of suicide and this topic 
really does mean a lot to both of us because it's something that we've lived through mm-hmm. and then we had a, we were able to connect through that so you know we've been friends ever since Takia came to me with this idea for you know the podcast and black people die by suicide too earlier this year um so we just want to you know share our story in hopes that that would encourage other black people to also be a little bit more vulnerable and open about their mental health too that's amazing so you guys literally met like at the hospital both yes. of you guys were being treated for it wow how was that so like meeting someone and like having this connection this shared experience with them um well the thing is takia is a very uh, I'm ta- why am i talking about myself in third person but i'm a very like bubbly uh social kind of person and i i don't know exactly what jordan said in group because we were in group and I can't remember what she said, but I know that I was like, I need to connect with her. It was just something innate that was like, you should connect with her. And I found out she was about to be discharged. So I was like, let me slide on in and ask for her phone number. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and it's, I think because when you're in the hospital, you're, you're experiencing the most, like you're, you're most vulnerable at that moment. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in group, you're sharing the most, vulnerable parts of yourself and you start to make connections or you start to feel like you're forming a bond with somebody or you feel like they can identify. And in that moment, I felt like, oh my gosh, someone gets it. I don't have to go through this alone. Mm -hmm. And Jordan is literally my partner. Like in terms of if I'm struggling with something, I'm like, I got to reach out to my girl Jordan because she already know. She knows what to do, what to say, how to say it. Like and it's hard to find those types of people because, you know, suicide is stigmatized. So people will be judgmental. Why you want to do that? That's dumb. You know, all of that. And so I feel like this is someone I can confide in. And when I need encouragement and Jordan won't freak out because I'm I'm a person who I, I'm very vocal in the sense that I'm somebody who struggles with chronic suicidal ideation like it sucks. I started struggling with suicidal thoughts around 11 years old. And now I'm in my 30s. And it's like, it never left. Like, do I have good moments? Of course, you know, because ebbs and flows, depending on what's happening, maybe there's a med change or maybe something happening in life. But I've had to learn in therapy, like to really not have that be my default because as a kid, anytime something happened, my brain would just go there. Like I, mm-hmm. it just happened automatically. And so even like now earlier this year, I had an experience. I told Jordan like, girl, I'm having these thoughts. And Jordan's like, she was here in an hour. We going to the hospital, girl. So, you know, it's just good to kind of have that person. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the hospital, it was just something about Jordan that I was like, I feel like we could be a great support system. So she supports me and I support her. Amazing. So so when I'm hearing like so many different things here. Um, one, vulnerability, right? So when people um, are kind of like forced into being vulnerable, whether it's like a tragedy or a crisis or what have you, two things can happen. We can either like push people away or we can invite like people into our support mm-hmm. system. And it sounds like both of you, kind of like just invited one another into your support system in that vulnerable space of being in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? I'm so glad that that happened because I'm the type of person who would typically push people away. <laughs> so I'm glad that I was able to make that connection with Takia. So 
That's good. I did something different. I tried something yes. different. You know what I'm saying? I was a little bit more open, <laughs> a little more vulnerable. Yes. And look where it turned out. I love that. I love that. If you guys are um, listening to the audio, so we have one more guest on the podcast. That's the dog. Uh, what's the dog's name? Oh, oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I was wondering. Yeah. I was wondering. I was like, is that Dr. Shonda's dog? Because I don't have a dog. No. That's Lucy. That is, yes, that is Lucy. Aww. I apologize. She um she's in a frisky mood this this Aww. evening. I took her to the vet earlier. She's <laughs> she's getting better though. She's feeling better, so I'm happy. Sorry for the noise. <laughs> You're good. Like, You're good. On? She just sounded like she wanted to join in a conversation, but that's fine. We had <laughs> we've had babies crying. Um, I live in the city, so it's always horns and ambulances. So y'all are good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so so Takia, you helped us kind of like learn more about what got you hospitalized in the first place with like these chronic suicidal ideations that you felt like, well, have been present since you were um, younger. Um, Jordan, do you mind kind of going into detail about like what led you to your hospitalization? And yeah. Yeah. So I actually I'm a native Marylander. I was born in D.C., but I was raised in Maryland. Um, I've lived with my father, my mother and my brother right here in Prince George's County. Um, and for the most part, everything was good in childhood. Um, again, some of my fondest memories with my family, going down to the waterfront, like walking the monuments, everything was good until maybe about, maybe about first grade, then my parents started to argue. Um, and so needless to say, our house just kind of became a bit tumultuous for many, many years. And then further on into my childhood, I started to experience some unwanted, inappropriate touching, um, sexual contact, if you will. And throughout all of that, for some reason, when I was a kid, I was very, very resilient. I was able to push through. I was part of a million different clubs, sports, had my part-time job, my friend group, everything was going good. Um, no one would have ever suspected suspected, I'm sorry, a thing like was happening at home. But fast forward 2008, it was the year that I was graduating from high school and I graduated. My father got really, really sick. So he wasn't able to come. Two weeks after I graduated high school, he actually passed away from lung cancer. Mm, and I really didn't have time to grieve or, you know, dwell on it because literally he died in June middle of August, I was off to Atlanta for undergrad. Um, looking back, I realized that I had a lot of unhealthy coping skills to get me through undergrad studies. But at the time, I didn't realize it. It wasn't until my last semester of undergrad that everything just completely fell apart. I ended up seeing a psychologist at my school. Um, and I started meeting her maybe about two or three weeks in, I saw her one day and the night prior, I was at home in my apartment with my, you know, my means of, I was strongly considering suicide. I had my means in hand and I was gonna go through with it. But for whatever reason, I didn't. And I saw my psychologist the next day, told her about it. And I ended up being involuntarily committed to the hospital, <laughs> um, put in the back of a squad car, driven to the west side of Atlanta to a psychiatric hospital. And that was kind of the beginning of my 
mental health journey. For whatever reason, I just wasn't able to hold on to those things by myself anymore. It just mm-hmm. all came bursting out. Um, I remember the day that I felt like, like the world just kind of fell apart. I was sitting on the MARTA train, getting ready to go into downtown Atlanta for school. And as far as I know, I was sitting on the train, minding my business, chilling, waiting for it to take off so I can get to class. And this black lady, she sits in the um, the seat like across from me and maybe about three minutes. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. After she sat down, she tapped me on my knee and I looked over at her. And she asked me, like, are you okay? And I just kind of, it caught me off guard. I was like, wait, what do you mean? I, I was, yeah, I'm okay. And she just kind of paused and hesitated. And she really looked at me. And she was like, no, are you okay? And so I kind of paused too. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And she said, okay. I could tell she didn't believe me. And I kid you not. I turned my body away from her toward the window and I held my book bag close to my chest and I cried the entire commute into downtown Mm. Atlanta because it felt like for the first time someone actually saw me. She saw you. Yes, they saw past all my my good grades and all the things that I had going on. Um, Job, clubs, sports didn't matter. Someone had finally saw all the things that I was holding in. And it was at that moment that I knew I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it by myself anymore. So that's when I, you know, sought treatment through school, wow. ended up being hospitalized. And that was the start of my journey. And I've been, you know, involved in some sort of mental health treatment um, ever since. Yeah. And you know what? I can honestly say it's been really, really hard. That was in 2012 and it's been a long 11 years, but things are going pretty well today. So mm-hmm. I'll take that. I think that's such a beautiful story because so far too often in our lives, we can go feeling unseen uh, because of like our accomplishments or the things that we're able to do well. It makes people, you know, it's hard for people to see like the real us, the us that could be struggling. Yeah. That's so I, I appreciate that vulnerability. You know, it's interesting that you said that because I was very similar in the sense of like people knew, like even um, undergrad, I was at Howard. I was literally, I founded organizations on campus. I was literally like, when you talk about working, before I got into the mental health space, my background is communications and media. So I had uh, internships and was doing freelance at BET, TV One. Like I was just out there doing all this stuff and everyone's like, oh, Takiya's fine. Like there's nothing. So when they found out that, you know, I text a friend and I told her it would be better if I, if I was, it would be better if I wasn't here. Mm -hmm. She didn't know that at the time I I had taken these substances and I was like, I'm just going to go in my sleep because it'll be easier. And the police officers had um, like broken through the window and they're like, you know, we got a call. Um, Can you make it to the door? And I was able to kind of like, I don't remember everything because like I didn't have anything to like eat or drink in like maybe four days. 
Um, so I was weak. I didn't take care of my hygiene. I was isolating, but I kind of like stumbled my way to the door. And I do remember telling them like, this is what I did. Drinking and I don't know why, why y'all here. Cause I'm just waiting to die. Like it's, it's going to Dang, happen. just when the story was, Takia, we lost you again. You said you, you lost were weak. Yeah, we lost you. You oh, said you weren't taking care of your hygiene. Yeah, that's yes, what I, I was Oh, okay. I was not taking care of my hygiene. And I said the um, police officers, I was like weak and I kind of made it, I made my way to the door and they were like, you know, we got a phone call. So we're doing a wellness check. And I just told them, I said, you know what? I don't even know why y'all here. Cause like I'm waiting to, to die. And I told them what I did and they was like, oh, you're a threat to yourself. So we can handcuff you, which is a whole nother issue. We shouldn't be doing that to people with mental yeah. health challenges. Or we can call the paramedics. So I am grateful that they gave me an option. They gave you a choice, though, yeah. Even though both options was going to get me to the place that I wasn't trying to go. Yeah. <laughs> but I got there. And um, when I got there and I was evaluated by the um, psychiatrist, he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, you're a threat. So you could commit yourself or we'll have to do it. And he's like, but I want to encourage you to commit yourself because it'll give you more control over the process. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't even know what I'm signing up for. I was terrified. I tell this story all the time. You're a millennial. You know about Good Burger. I thought when I went upstairs, it was about to be over. It was about to be like Keenan and Kel, Good Burger <laughs> kind of thing. I was like, oh, man, I'm terrified. And um, But I went up there and it wasn't like that. And I remember like the director of the unit had told me, I was like, I don't belong here. I was like, I went to Howard and I went to Georgetown and just going off like all the stuff. And I'm doing this and I'm working really hard in my career and I got my own apartment just going on and on. And she's like, okay, you got a master's, you got a bachelor's. She's like, and I'm like, yes, yeah, so I don't belong here with these people. Like what I'm, why am I here with these people? And she said, no, you're here because your brain is sick. When your heart is sick, you have to go see the to the go to the cardiologist. But you have not been doing a great job at taking care of your brain, and so that's why you're here. That happened in 2016. I never forgot it. Now it's like you can't separate your mental health from your physical health. They they all no. work together. And that was when I realized that I needed to make a change because if I didn't, I would risk you know being back in there. Now, granted, I have gone to partial hospitalization programs multiple times since then, but I haven't gone back inpatient. And so um, that was really kind of what started my journey um, into the mental health um, space. And then I started pursuing all these certifications in mental health because I just wanted to become educated, not just on my personal experience, but yeah. just different evidence-based training so I could make sure that I had a full understanding and a better picture um, so that I could better understand myself and also other people as well. Yeah. So, so because someone helped you, it's like, I'm indebted to other people. Like I want to help other people. So, um, mm -hmm. I, I think that's how oftentimes that works in the nonprofit industry. Like people establish organizations that they're passionate about, that they have experience with. Um, okay. So two ladies, both hospitalized for, you know, suicide attempts, um, or suicide ideation with intent. Uh, for for you, one was voluntary, one was involuntary, um, but both of you guys were put in a squad car. Is that accurate? No, you no Jordan you was. Okay. I I I told them to call the paramedics, so they called the paramedics and Got I was you. transported. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So what was that like for Jordan to be met by a squad car, be put in the back of a police car, and then Takia, I want you to go into what that was like being met by the police. Uh, it's such a, a vulnerable state. 
you know what? I'm very grateful that the police officer that came to get me was very, very nice. I didn't end up being handcuffed. He just told me, you know, I have to transport you. I was in the back of the squad car and I kept thinking to myself, what did I do wrong? Like, how how did I get in the back of a squad car? Um, but again, he was very, very kind. Um, didn't have any issues, any run-ins, no disrespect. So I'm very, very grateful that he was compassionate. Um, but I, I can honestly say I did feel like I was in trouble for something that I couldn't control, for something that wasn't my fault. At the time, I didn't realize that because, again, it was the very, very beginning of my mental health journey. But looking back, um, you know, I couldn't control that I that I felt depressed. Depression isn't something that you can just switch, you know, flip a light switch and just be happy. It doesn't work right. like that. Exactly. Um, so even though I was put in a squad car and even though I did feel like, dang, like what did, what did I do wrong? Um, I didn't end up feeling like a criminal per se, because again, my experience with the cop was, was, you know, decent. Yeah. Wow. No, you want to say something? Dr. No, you can go ahead. I'll just say my thought after you're done. Okay. Are you going to remember? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start writing everything down. <laughs> um, so I overall, and I know, I think Jordan and I are very fortunate that we have pretty good experience because we hear some horrible stories. Yeah. Um, but the police officer was very nice. And I do know at the time, I don't live in PG County anymore, but at the time it happened in PG County. And I know that a lot of the police officers are trained in crisis intervention. So that helps. Mm -hmm. And he, he was in Maryland? like, mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> and so I know he said to me, he was like, you know, like I understand you're scared and you may not really understand what's going on, but you know, someone contacted me. I didn't know exactly who told him cause, but I found out afterwards and he's like, you know, they're just concerned about your safety. And because you told me that you had taken these pills and, you know, had this bottle of wine and you said you was about to die in your sleep. He's like, I can't leave you here knowing that information. Mm. So, um, he's like, I, I can give you a choice. And so when the paramedics arrived, they, um, it was just, you know, I just pretty much sat down. They asked me questions like what's going on. And I, I told them that I felt like my childhood trauma as well as like at that time I had recently graduated with my master's. Did y'all lose me again? Okay, I think we lost you. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Again. What is going on today? Oh, man. Before at, it... um, I told them that I felt. That's when it went off. Oh, I told them that I felt. Oh, I, it's so crazy. Last week, we was on something. Jordan was messing up. Now it's oh. me. <laughs> going on y'all squished uh, a little bit <laughs> um so i told them that i felt like um my my childhood trauma and my like current life like in the sense of i had just graduated with my master's and just trying to transition into like adulthood trying to pay bills and you know you're in your 20s and i just felt like i was just having a hard time trying to adult mm -hmm. and then with my some of my challenges 
and you know, being a child was like, I watched my mom be verbally um, and physically abused. My father, um, not by my dad, but my father also had um, a drug problem. Actually, he still does to this day. So I would go to the hospital, um, go to the prison to see my father. Like I remember putting my hand on like the plexiglass, seeing my dad and you know, my both, my parents were teenage teenagers when they had me. My mom was 18. My dad was 19. So like we grew up in like, you know, public housing and just, I was ex exposed to a lot. Like I remember seeing like a kid seeing like crack bottles and stuff like on the floor, on the ground. And wow. so all of that stuff started to really impact me. And I felt like my childhood and my current like life present life was just colliding and it was like too much and I was like I don't know what to do with all of these feelings and I've been saying since I was in middle school that I you know I want to die and I was like I, I can't do this anymore like I don't want to be here so that's ultimately what got me into the hospital mm. so Takia you noticed that pattern of it's, it's starting in like middle school with the statements mm -hmm. like, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to die. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jordan, do you remember when it started for you? So the very first time, and I think probably the only distinct time that I remember experiencing some symptom of a mental health issue, I was also in middle school. I was in seventh grade, I believe. And I remember going to my guidance counselor and telling them, that I felt like everyone was just like looking at me. I feel like it was kind of the start. That sounds weird, but I think that was kind of the start of some social anxiety perhaps. Um, Cause I always felt like people were looking at me or poking fun at me and rationally thinking back on it, that wasn't the case, but I guess that was just some of the, you know, the way the anxiety started to manifest itself. And then it kind of, you know, it went away after my guidance counselor told me, oh, you're fine. I just didn't think about it anymore. I let it go. And I did pretty well for years after that. It wasn't until my 20s that I actually noticed anything wrong. Um, I actually had a rough middle school from like 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. Those ended up being some pretty rough years for me anyway. <laughs> but by the time I got to 11th and 12th, man, I was fine. I I was doing everything I needed to do, but um, that was the first and probably the only time I remember experiencing something like that before the age of 18. And of course, you know, traumatic things had happened to me, Sure. but I was able to kind of brush them off and keep it pushing at the time. Um, I don't know, out of necessity out of feeling like I had to um my parents god bless them my father of course is deceased as I said earlier but my mom is still alive they were very um Jordan there's always something wrong with you like what's wrong with you now so I kind of learned to hold things in and internalize things mm. and I think that's also kind of what made it a little bit harder for me to connect with other people or even tell other people my problems even to this day because yeah. in the back of my mind it's like okay Jordan what's wrong with you now like I can hear my parents like a tape player <laughs> so I didn't really spend a lot of time dwelling on it when I was a child but again everything definitely came to the surface my last semester of undergrad yeah which makes sense um I go ahead 
You're muted. Oh yeah, Takia, you're muted. I was gonna say, Jordan, you still do this, y'all. I do. Today. Um, because even like Jordan was going through something, and she, your text says something along the lines of, "I shouldn't be complaining," and I immediately corrected her and said, "No, you have a right to complain. It's something that's bothering you, so you're venting. You shouldn't be like, oh, I shouldn't be complaining. If it's something that you're dealing with and you need to process it." You know, like, let's do that, you know? And it's like, so we're great with holding each other accountable, too. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Um, and I, I think y you guys are great examples of what it means to, like, allow yourself to have those support systems, right? Like, even though uh, suicidal ideation is difficult to, to deal with, sometimes people go into, like, that withdrawal isolation mode, mm -hmm. um, especially with, like, those depressed feelings. So it's, it's amazing that you guys... Um, have one another. Um, Jordan, so I know, Takia, you said your means of uh, wanting to end your life was drinking um, wine and then taking some sort of substance. Um, do you mind going into detail as to like what your selected means were or? Yes. So okay. the very first time and what ended up, you know, leading to my first hospitalization, um, I was in the kitchen of my apartment in Atlanta and I had pulled a knife from the butcher block and I was getting ready to slit my wrist. And that's what I ended up reporting to my psychologist and, you know, went to the hospital, yada, yada, yada. And like Takia, I experienced suicidal thoughts for um, an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and every time after that, it was always medication. So I... I always say, um, I feel very, very fortunate to be alive because I can't tell you how many nights I sat on the side of my bed with a bottle of pills in my hand and the very, very strong thought that I should just take them all mm -hmm. and just go to sleep and not wake up and just be done. Um, too many nights. Couldn't begin to tell you how many, yeah. um, but I'm very, very grateful that for whatever reason, I didn't make that choice. And I'm grateful um, that I got a second chance to, to live and to be able to help other people who are experiencing the same thing. Because again, I dealt with a lot of my, you know, depression and my anxiety alone. I had to, well, I felt like I had to keep things and I didn't really have to keep things in. Um, I always had a therapist, but outside of that, you know, I, I just dealt with things on my own and um, I'm just glad that I get this opportunity to help other people who are also black, who also feel like, dang, what's wrong with me? Like, yeah. how come I'm not resilient? And how come I'm not the strong black woman who can hold everything on my shoulders and, you know, who can just dust things off and keep it pushing? Why am I the one sitting at the edge of my bed every night thinking about taking these pills? And I just, you know, to anyone who is experiencing something similar at this time, I think Takia and I both just want you to know that you're not alone. Um, and that there's help out there and you don't have to struggle with it by yourself. Jordan, I noticed while you were talking, um, you were becoming tearful, like you yeah. were experiencing some emotion. What were you feeling? 
such you a know, therapist thing to say. I know. I appreciate it, though. It's, it's, it's going to get me to tap in because I need to. Right. Like, um, I mean, I'm good at what I do. So. I know. Yeah. I, know. I, just, I, just, I just had to make fun of you. That's I all know. I know. <laughs> you know what? I just I think about the how much pain I was experiencing at that time. And I can, I can tell you it it's heartbreaking to me that I felt like that for so long. Um, and even now when I think back on it, I can't help but feel emotional because I seriously almost didn't make it. And I don't know When I think about that now, it's just very, very hard for me to process. Um, and it makes me feel very, very sad for myself. But again, I'm very, very grateful that I have this this second chance and that I didn't. Yeah. I'm very grateful that, you know, with Takiya's attempt that she's still here. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely the driving force behind, you know, our organization and what keeps me wanting to do this. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. 